The housing market, with its rapidly rising real estate prices, has been a topic of conversation across Canada. It has also been a subject of interest in family courts, mediations, and arbitrations. Separated spouses either want to make sure that they continue to share in the rapidly increasing value of the home, or to make sure their former spouse does not. When spouses are married, they have matrimonial homes, sometimes more than one per couple, and those can create a lot of opportunities to gain great wealth at the expense of the other spouse in this real estate market. This edition of the Ontario Family Law Podcast looks at how the increase in value of the matrimonial home is shared or is not in the current crazy real estate market. I'm John Schumann, a certified specialist in Family Law Ontario. I'm also a mediator, arbitrator, and collaborative lawyer. This podcast is a companion to my book, Guide to the Basics of Ontario Family Law, which is available on the iBookstore, Amazon, Kobo, and in fine bookstores. With housing prices rising quickly, it is not surprising that separated spouses are either trying to maneuver to share in the increase in value of the home or prevent the other spouse from sharing in that increase. The way that Ontario family law works presents some big opportunities for one spouse to enjoy a great windfall. Mm. There are two big factors that affect how much a spouse can get from the value of the home. The first is whether it is a matrimonial home, and the second is who has title to the home. Oh. Those two factors can have an enormous impact, and so some spouses considering separation try to arrange things so that those factors work in their favor. <laughs> Another factor that has an impact is how much each spouse contributes to the home, both in terms of money and in terms of personal efforts for upkeep before and after separation. In a previous episode, I went over how property is divided after marriage in Ontario. Things are much different for common-law couples, and I will come back to that. As a starting point, at separation, married couples share in the increase in value of each other's property during the marriage. They do not own each other's stuff, but they do share in the increase in each other's net worth during the marriage, with a few exceptions. A big exception is with respect to matrimonial homes. Only married spouses can have matrimonial homes. A matrimonial home is the property or properties, as they can be more than one, that the spouses occupy together. A property being a matrimonial home has a number of implications that I went over in previous episodes and in great detail in my book, as those implications are significant for married spouses and separated spouses. But for today's discussion, what is important is whether a property was occupied as a matrimonial home on the date the spouse is separated. Unless the parties have a marriage contract, the value of the matrimonial home is shared between the spouses. If one or both spouses acquire the matrimonial home during the marriage, then the home is like any other asset and is included in the net worth of the spouse or spouses who own it on the date of separation, so that the spouses can share in the increase in each other's net worth. But if the matrimonial home on the date of separation is the same home owned by one of the spouses on the date of marriage, problems develop. Where the same property was a matrimonial home on the date of marriage and the date of separation, the spouse who owned it on the date of marriage gets absolutely no credit for owning that property on the date of marriage, and the entire value is shared by the spouses. It is as if the spouse who owned the matrimonial home on the date of marriage had nothing and the entire value of the property is included in the net worth to be divided. So a spouse who had bought a home in 2010 for, say, $200,000, who saw that property increase to $400,000 on the date of marriage in 2019, and then saw the value jump to a million dollars by the date of separation in 2020, has to share the entire million dollars with his or her spouse, even though a lot of that value came from before the marriage. 
Ironically, if the spouses moved out of that home before separation and perhaps rented it out, then the spouse who owned the property on the wedding date gets full credit for owning it on that date and only has to share the $600,000 increase in value during the marriage, not the full million dollars. So some spouses planning separation arrange to move into a new home before separation. <laughs> Another implication of matrimonial homes is that one spouse cannot force the other spouse out without an agreement or court order. So where the spouse who owns the home moves out, the other spouse can stay there for free. Oh yeah. And we'll come back to that in a minute. Who owns the matrimonial home also matters a lot. It is common for married spouses to hold title to their home jointly, meaning they both own it, because this has a lot of advantages if one spouse dies. But it can create a headache when one spouse paid for the home, or mostly paid for the home. The presumption is that when a jointly owned property is sold, the owners will both share in the value in the home. So if a matrimonial home is owned by both spouses and increases in value a lot after separation, which has been what has been happening lately, both spouses share in that increase in value. That is true if only one spouse is paying for the mortgage, taxes, and maintenance on that home, even if that spouse is not living in the home. Mm. A titled spouse can stay in the house for free and share in the increase in value after separation. Where only one spouse is entitled to the matrimonial home, then only that spouse gets the increase in value after separation, whether that spouse is living in the home or paying any of the costs associated with keeping the home. Oh. Although, there are some ways to address this, which I will come back to later. For common law couples, who is title is even more important even though they do not have matrimonial homes. Since common law couples do not share in each other's property as married couples do, a spouse with the title keeps the entire value of the home regardless of other considerations, and a common law couple who owns the home together shares in the value, again regardless of other considerations. Although there are some things that can be done where that works in unfairness. It has been common for a spouse who is not paying the carrying costs of the home, but who is a joint owner, to delay or avoid the sale of the home so that that spouse can enjoy the increase in value without having to contribute anything to get that increase. Mm. For married couples, since a spouse cannot just kick another spouse out of the matrimonial home or do anything to force the other spouse out, the spouse who remains in the home may continue living there and avoid paying any of the cost to have a place to live for free and still gets the benefit of the increase in value. Oh yeah. That may seem like it can cause an obvious unfairness. <laughs> particularly where one spouse manipulates things to get an increase in value and other benefits at the other spouse's expense. <laughs> there is something that can be done about that, but it is a little complicated. Ugh. In previous episodes, I described how judges can use equity to correct an unfairness that the law does not address. To deal with rising house prices, where one spouse is benefiting financially for doing nothing, or even less than nothing, it is possible for a judge to consider whether a spouse has been unjustly enriched at the other spouse's expense. There's a test for finding an unjust enrichment, and there are some bars to making such a claim, especially where one spouse has made the claim and has acted badly, which makes it hard to find that there's unfairness. There might also be an unfairness where a spouse put title to a property partially or wholly in the other spouse's name to get some sort of benefit, such as avoiding creditors. Mm. But where one spouse has been the one paying the cost of maintaining a house, or in the case of a common law spouse paid to acquire it, a claim for unjust enrichment can give that spouse some financial relief. In making these claims, spouses sometimes think that the court will give them all the increase in value in the home since they paid for it. That is usually not the case. 
the usual approach to this is to compensate the spouse for what he or she has lost. So where the, where the house is jointly owned, but one spouse has been paying all the costs for the house after separation, frequently the judge will just order the freeloading spouse to pay his or her share of those costs, particularly out of his or her share of the sale proceeds. Sometimes that repayment also includes interest. However, where both spouses own the property and the spouse who has been paying the expenses has been the one staying in the house, there can be a significant reduction in the amount that that spouse receives. That is because the spouse got the benefit of staying in the house without paying rent to the other spouse for the half of the house the other spouse owns. So either the spouse in the house got a, the benefit that negates the other spouse being unjustly enriched, so no payment is necessary, or there is a payment of occupation rent which offsets what the spouse in the house should get back for paying all the carrying costs. Oh. For common law couples, the issue is more complicated because there is no property division, so it is the contributions throughout the relationship that matter, as well as the increase in value of the home throughout the relationship that matters. This is because there is no property equalization scheme to address the sharing of wealth during the relationship. These claims can get quite complicated. There are a lot of variables that affect the entitlement to the compensation and the amount. Where one spouse feels the other spouse is unfairly getting a share in the increase in value to a property even while contributing nothing, that spouse should speak to a good family lawyer about what can be done to correct the unfairness. If you need some more general family law or children's law guidance, or you need to understand Ontario family law better so you can make better decisions, if you need to know the best parenting options after separation, or if you need help with a child protection issue, or you need to understand how finances work after separation or divorce, get a copy of my book, Guide to the Basics of Ontario Family Law. You can access it immediately on the iBookstore on Amazon for the Kindle version, or you can download it for Kobo. Amazon can deliver the paperback version directly to your doorstep. You can also get a lot more Ontario Family Law information on www.shumanlaw.ca. Not only are there are hundreds of pages of Family Law information and links, but there are links to get my book and links to reach my office to meet with either me or one of my colleagues. You can set up an appointment to speak to us by calling 416-446-5847. It is always best to get a lawyer who can give you expert advice that's specific to your situation. In addition to my website, keep up to date on family and children's law issues by liking my Facebook page, following me on Twitter at Family, and finding me on LinkedIn. Of course, please subscribe to my YouTube channel and hit the notification bell to keep up to date. You can get the audio versions of the Ontario Family Law Podcast on all major podcast services, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and many more. Or you can get all the episodes at www.shumanlaw.ca. Just look for podcasts in the drop-down menu. Thanks for participating in this podcast. We will get together again soon.